Ladies, today we get to hear from a special woman. She has inspired me and many others to seek truth and to live intentionally. Her counsel is solid and overflowing with grace. She is a godly woman, and she is what I like to call the real deal. We are truly blessed at Calvary Monterey to have Christina Holdridge leading our women, and we are in for a real treat today. So please join me in welcoming Christina. Hi, everybody. Isn't isn't it so good to be together? That time of worship, whew, that was incredible. Honestly, thank you so much, Uziel and Whitney and the band. That was just, that was what I needed. Um, Well, let me open my book here. Um, Yeah, it's really great to be here with you all. If you don't know who I am, my name is Christina. Um, I'm married to Nate. That's the guy that's up here on Sunday mornings teaching. (laughs) Um, He's our lead pastor, but I also have the privilege of leading um, the team of women who put on our women's events. So that's this gathering, which is our first women's gathering of 2024. Yep, woohoo. Um, so, hooray, it's an awesome job. Um, if you have never met me, I'll be hanging out in the lobby, and I really would love to meet you afterwards. So come say hi, introduce yourself. Like Whitney said, um, we're, this is the first of four gatherings, and our gatherings this year are going to be centered. Um, we only get to do four, but there are seven I am statements of Jesus, and we're going to cover four of them. You know, if Jesus really is who Scripture says he is, which I believe he is, meaning if Jesus is really God, right, the creator and sustainer of the entire universe, wouldn't it be so good for us to, dis- to study who he describes himself to be? That's, that's what the I am statements are. They're Jesus' titles, his descriptions of himself. Maybe I could say it in another way. I don't actually need my glasses. I'm so glad. Um, maybe I could say it in another way. Would you ever marry someone you haven't met? <laughs> I know there's some crazy TV shows about people that are doing that kind of thing, but seriously, if you are going to commit yourself to somebody in such a huge way, you're going to want to learn everything you can about them. Studying the I am statements, it's kind of one way that we can learn more about him. And if you've surrendered yourself to following him, if you've committed yourself like I have, then let's get to know our God deeper. And if you haven't given your life to him, well, this is your chance. Learn more about who he is. Okay, so with that, let's get started. Um, Have you guys ever had the experience of spending time with someone that um, maybe you just met them or maybe sometime later you realize that they are actually very important and you had no idea who they were when you were meeting them. Okay, this happened to us a few weeks ago. We were at a family birthday party and um, right now my middle daughter, Violet, she's kind of in the throes of figuring out um, what college to go to next year. She's a senior. And a few weeks ago we were at this birthday party where we ran into a guy that, to the best of our memory, worked at one of the schools that Violet had applied to. So we're in a casual conversation with him. We're just chatting, and like kind of as a point of connection, we mention, oh, yeah, our daughter Violet, she applied to the school that you work at, and we know this guy kind of well-ish. 
He's a family member of one of our family members. So we've actually seen him at family gatherings over the years, like for probably over 20 years now, two or three times a year. Um, so yeah, two or three times a year, catching up with him. And um, we're casually chatting with him about the whole college process. So we mentioned she's applied to the, to the school that he works at. And we even kind of joke around and say, yeah, the thing that really made her want to go there was it has incredible food, like the best food she's seen, <laughs> which is true. <laughs> um, so anyway, he answers back. It's just all super casual. He doesn't say too much. He asks a few questions. And then all of a sudden, one of our other family members comes running up and like super loudly is like, you guys, do you know who you're talking to, he is the CEO of that entire university. The CEO. <laughs> and he just made that incredible food selection that you're talking about. He made that happen. He runs that entire school. So literally, we're talking to him like he's a teacher or a soccer coach. And he is the CEO of the whole school. I mean, if there was ever a time for us to kind of like kiss up a little bit and make our daughter look pretty good, it was in that moment. But we missed it. <laughs> so probably a little bit to our own embarrassment. Um, but maybe for good, right? For good, maybe. We had no idea who we were talking to. We didn't realize his power or position at the school. So we did not in any way try to kind of take advantage of it. Well, that's good for us to treat people that way, kind of equally respecting them, whether regardless of the position that they're in, not using them for what we can get from them, right? But I think it's different with God. This morning, we're going to study from John chapter 6. And there, we're going to see Jesus interacting with a lot of people. But there's only one who understands who he really is and what he really offers. All the other characters in this episode of Jesus' life, they minimize, they don't see at all who he is and what he can do for them. So much so that in the middle of the chapter, Jesus just, he just declares it. In John 6, 35, he defines himself so that everyone around and so that we, too, will know who he is, will know what he's offering. He says right there in John 6, 35, he says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. Our creator, our savior, this is one of the important things that he wants us to know about him. So let's dig into what this definition of Jesus means so that we don't miss out on taking advantage of who he really is. This morning, we're going to study the statement of Jesus in three points. First, I'm going to define for you what it means that Jesus is the bread of life. Then we're going to look at the ways that the people in our episode, the story, and us too easily miss or minimize this part of who he is. And then finally, we're going to learn how we can take advantage of the life that Jesus offers us through himself. So would you go with, your, with me in your Bibles to the book of John, chapter 6. We're going to read together, and we're going to start in verse 24. It's also up there on the screen for you if you'd like. But um, in this portion right now, I'm going to read it uh, from the New Living Translation. So, 
When the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me his seal of approval. Then they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture says Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you've seen me. Well, there's a lot in that passage, but isn't that last verse a little intense? but you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. To give you some context, let me recount the ways that this crowd saw Jesus. It was more than just a glance with their eyes or a momentary encounter. The second verse of chapter 6, it tells us that this same group of people saw Jesus perform miraculous healings, and so they followed him. Then Jesus went up onto a mountain to be alone with his disciples, and they followed him again. Then, in verses 5 to 14 of chapter 6, you can read this all yourself, Jesus miraculously feeds this same crowd of like almost 5,000 or over 5,000 people until they're stuffed with five loaves of bread and two fish. So this time, they don't just see him perform a miraculous healing. They experience one themselves. They see and experience a miracle. Then verses 22 to 25 say that because of all they've seen and all they've experienced, the next day after he has fed them, they go across an entire lake just to get to him. But Jesus says after all that, but you haven't believed in me even though you've seen me. So there's something, there's something about what this crowd believed about Jesus that was not enough, that wasn't accurate, that was insufficient. Even though their belief caused them to follow him all over the place, up a mountain, across a lake, day after day, Jesus knew that they still didn't really get who he was and what he could really do for them. So what is it? What was it that Jesus wanted them to understand about himself? What were these crowds not getting? The first thing we're going to look at is that they weren't getting that he is the bread of life. So we're going to define, I'm going to define for you what it means that Jesus called himself the bread 
of life. That is what they were not understanding. That is, not what they were, that is what they were not believing. Okay, in our passage this morning, Jesus gives us two important insights as to what the bread of life actually means, okay? The first is in verse 35. Look at verse 35 there in your Bibles. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger And he who believes in me will never thirst. We're going to hang out on those words, never hunger and never thirst. This colors in a lot for us about what the bread of life means. Based on that phrase, we know that when Jesus calls himself the bread of life, first of all, just kind of got to get this out of the way, he is speaking in a metaphor. He is not talking literally, but using a metaphor. He, being the bread of life, it means he's the sustenance, of our soul. How do we know that? Okay, first, the crowd he was speaking to is coming to him because they want him to feed they want him to feed them. Again, they're hungry again, right? They follow Jesus all the way across the lake cuz they he fed them the day before and now they're hungry and he they would like him to do it again. So, um and he says that, right? We read it in verse 26. He says, "I tell you the truth, You want to be with me because I fed you. So if coming to Jesus as the bread of life was literal and not a metaphor, if it meant that a person would never experience physical hunger or thirst again, well, he's already been debunked because the crowd he's talking to is hungry again. Secondly, if Jesus was making such a bold and extreme promise about literal, physical hunger, if he wasn't using symbolism and metaphors here, well, Wouldn't everyone else that followed him besides this crowd pretty quickly realize he is a liar? I mean, after after a day or so of coming to him, they would be physically hungry too, right? Word's going to get out pretty quickly. Jesus makes crazy promises that he cannot keep. Jesus is not talking about literal physical hunger. It was probably obvious to you, but we just kind of got to get that out of the way. He's using a metaphor, okay? And the metaphor is he is the food, the sustenance, for our souls, our spiritual life. Okay, another thing I need to make clear is that the phrase never hunger and never thirst, it helps us understand something else about the bread of life, that Jesus is talking about more than just life after death. Now, if you read the entirety of John chapter 6, which is a really long chapter, it's like 70 verses or something, Jesus definitely, definitely does promise life after death. There is no denying that scripturally here or all throughout scripture. One result of coming to him and believing him is certainly life after death. Three times in this chapter alone, Jesus says, if a person believes in him, he's going to raise them up on the last day. That's life after death. Verses 51 and 58, they promise that a person who comes to him will live forever. But the phrase never hunger, and never thirst, they help us understand that Jesus is meaning more than just life after death. Think about it. Hunger and thirst, those are cravings, right? They're not just our existence. You can be hungry for a while and not die. When Jesus says he's the bread of life, hear me, hear me now. Okay, when Jesus says he's the bread of life, This is our whole time together this morning. He's saying, I am the solution to your soul's cravings. 
That idea is honestly all throughout Scripture. Just a few chapters before, in John 4, Jesus tells the woman at the well that drinking the water that he can give her, it will quench a person's thirst forever. He says, whoever drinks of the water I will give him will never thirst. There's our word, thirst, a craving. Never thirst again. And listen to this from Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 is talking about a coming Messiah, and we know that to be Jesus. Okay, listen to this. It's up on the screen too. Ho, everyone who thirsts, thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear me and your soul will live. Thirst, satisfy. Those are cravings they're talking about. How about that verse? Let your soul delight in abundance. Man, Jesus does promise us life after death, but there is so much more with him than life after death. Jesus is the sustenance our soul needs. Okay, never hunger, never thirst. That's our first insight into what it means that Jesus calls himself the bread of life. The second comes from verse 27. If you look at verse 27, Jesus is talking to the crowds and he says, don't labor for the food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Son has set his seal upon him. Jesus, as the bread of life here, it means that the nourishment he gives our soul endures. It doesn't rot like regular food. It lasts forever. It never runs out. So the filling up of our soul, the satisfaction of our longings and cravings. The thing that Jesus can do, it's not temporary. It's long-lasting. It's actually eternal. You guys, there is nothing like this on earth. I have had, and maybe you too, I have had so many Thanksgiving nights where I swore I just, I could never eat again. That's it. I I ate too much. I ate so much it hurt. I'm never going to eat again. And of course, at some point the next day, I get hungry. And I need food. I was so full the night before I couldn't even imagine being hungry. But just a little bit of time passes. And sure enough, I am. Jesus is saying here, he's not like that. He's saying the fulfillment he gives us, it lasts. Let's think about soul cravings. How many times, how many times have I stuffed myself with something hoping to soothe a craving in my soul? Maybe I didn't totally connect the dots in the moment, thinking that I was trying to do that. But how many times have I thought, if I could just have this, then I'll be happy. If I could just look like this, then I'll be good. If I could just have that relationship, then I'll be okay. If I could just be free of this responsibility then I'll be settled, happy, content. If I could just have this amount of money, that's all I need, then I'll be good. And on and on we go, chasing after the things that we think will settle the aches that are inside of us, thinking, surely, 
Surely, if I just feel a little more valued, a little more important, a little more desired, a little more safe, secure, purposeful, a little freer of this hard thing, then surely I will be okay. But you guys, we know the truth, right? The end of chasing after all that stuff, sometimes even getting a hold of it for a little while, at the end, it's always more ache. It's always more desire. It's always more hunger. But Jesus says, as the bread of life with me, you have a food that will never leave you hungry or thirsty again. You will have nourishment for your soul that will not rot, but leave you full and satisfied forever. So that's our definition. Jesus, being the bread of life, means that he is the food our souls need to be filled forever. And he's telling us this about himself because he wants us to know him in this way. He doesn't want us like I did at that party, he doesn't want us to miss taking advantage of him in this way. Okay, for our second point this morning, we're going to look really quickly at how the characters in this chapter missed out on who Jesus was and how we can kind of fall into a lot of these same mistakes. Remember, the crowds were physically coming to him because they believed something about him. But there's a specific kind of coming and believing in Jesus that has to happen in order for us to get our souls filled. So where did they go wrong? I want to start this little section by giving you a brief synopsis of the entire chapter, okay? Like really brief. Here's what happened. To start, a crowd of people follow Jesus because they saw him heal miraculously. Then, Verses 5 to 14, Jesus miraculously feeds a whole bunch of people with just a little bit. In that episode, the disciples question him, the crowds call him a prophet, and the crowds even want to force him to be their king. After that, it's a dark and stormy night. Jesus walks right on top of a lake and gets into the disciples' boat. The disciples are afraid of him, but they welcome him into their boat. The next day, the crowds look for Jesus, cross a lake, find him teaching in a synagogue, and have a conversation with him that we read about earlier, about God and works and manna and Moses. They call him teacher, but ultimately, Jesus says, you don't get it. After that, Jesus has this really complex exchange of words with some Jews who complain about him. They, they complain that he's saying he's from heaven, they argue with him about his teaching, and then... Some disciples stop following Jesus because they say his teaching is too difficult. Finally, at the very end of the chapter, Jesus and Peter have a very short conversation. You can see it up there on the screen. John chapter 6, starting in verse 67, after the disciples that say his teaching is too hard walk away, Jesus says to the 12, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to know and believe that you are the Christ, the living, the son of the living God. Peter. Peter is the only one in this chapter that gets Jesus right. Let's look at three things that Peter got right that the rest of the people missed. <clears throat> 
Arguably, the most important thing Peter recognized about Jesus is the very last thing that he says. We have come to believe and know that you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. While all the other people in this book, in this chapter, see Jesus as a miracle worker or a prophet or a teacher, even a potential king, no one else understood that he was Jesus as God. Jesus told the crowds in verse 28 that believing in him as God was the only work God required of them. And of course, the question has to be asked of us today. In order for us to take in that everlasting, soul-satisfying life that Jesus offers, we have to believe that he is God, the Son, with all of the perfection and all of the authority that comes with that title. And here's the crazy thing, ladies. We have a huge advantage over Peter in this belief. I mean, we have access to all of Scripture, right? It shows us the whole redemptive story, and we get to see how Jesus fits in there so clearly, and we get to know what Peter didn't know till later in his life, that Jesus did all these miracles, made all these crazy promises, then died and rose again, rose himself from death. His resurrection makes everything he said His claim to deity, deity, it makes his claim to be the bread of life, it makes it all so much more true. We have that advantage. So, Jesus is God. If you're here this morning and you haven't made that confession yet, I encourage you to do it. Read the Gospels. Consider Jesus. Talk to people you know who believe in Jesus. Just don't easily accept that he's just a wise man from another time. Don't miss. Don't miss what he is offering. Soul-satisfying, everlasting life. He's God. Peter believed it, and Jesus wants us to, too. Okay, the next thing I want you to notice about Peter's words are here at the beginning of his words. Jesus asks the 12 if they want to go away, go away from him like the others did, and Peter said, Lord, To whom shall we go? Let's focus on that word go. In this chapter, we see people do two things. Either at the end, they go away from him, or they go to him, but not for the life that he's offering. This is what Peter understood. That with Jesus and only with Jesus is life. Think about the definition of the bread of life that Jesus gives to himself. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's saying some very exclusive things, don't you think? He's saying he and he alone is the only source of life. But Peter got that and nobody else did. Where else will we go for life? And what about us? When we hunger And thirst in our souls, do we go to Jesus? Or do we go to other things? Do we go to Jesus exclusively? Or do we go to Jesus and other things? It is so easy to not even realize that we are trying to soothe the aches in our heart by not going to Jesus and other things. It's easy, but in this episode, the people missed it and we can too. Jesus says, though, whoever comes to me will never hunger and never thirst. 
Okay, and lastly, notice, what, notice this about what Peter said. He recognized Jesus as God. He turned to him exclusively, but also he declared that Jesus had the words of eternal life. Now, a lot of people in our chapter today follow Jesus for physical life, right? They followed him because they saw him heal. That's bringing physical life back. They followed him because he fed them. That's sustaining physical life. But Jesus, Peter said, Jesus spoke words that would last forever. I mean, a healed person is eventually going to die, and a fed person is eventually going to be hungry again because these were not the most important things that Jesus offered. Peter knew that all Jesus said brought life, and that life would never break down or die. That life would fill a soul, a soul to never be hungry or thirsty again. And think about what the other people in this chapter did with Jesus' words. Some argued and complained about them. Some said his words were too hard to follow. Some minimized his words when they called him a teacher or a prophet, like good words, but kind of optional. And don't we fall into this so, so often as well? We read the Bible, but we complain about it or argue with it. We hear a teaching and we decide that it's too hard. So often, we don't view Jesus' words as life. We don't see Jesus' words as what we need to feel full and satisfied. And life is good, right? Do we see his words as good life? I mean, remember that passage we read in Isaiah? He said, let your souls delight in abundance. That's good Delight, abundance. Peter understood that Jesus' words brought good, abundant, delightful life. And so, as we wrap up this morning, I would like us to conclude by considering this last point. How can we take advantage of this life that Jesus is offering us? How can we get it? I have three simple encouragements for you. Let's identify our hunger, evaluate our habits, and feast on him. Identify your hunger. Okay, I know for me, personally, this first step is really just so important. I have come to learn that I'm kind of easily numbed. What I mean by that is just like by going through ordinary life or commitments or busyness or distractions, good, not so good things, by going through life, I become easily numb to my spiritual hunger. Haven't you guys ever had that happen to you with physical hunger? You get so caught up in a task, let's say, and maybe someone interrupts you and you're kind of cranky with them and then you kind of feel bad and you wonder why you're so cranky and you look up at the clock and you realize, holy smokes, it's been like eight hours since I ate. You were so caught up in your circumstances that you kind of became a little numb to your body sending those hunger signals. The same thing can happen with our spiritual appetites. We can become numb to our needs, sometimes until we make a bad decision. So how can we better identify our spiritual hunger? 
Here are some helpful questions to ask. Okay, this is where I'm gonna give you homework. We're not gonna have time to do this today and I'm gonna give you a few assignments and I really want you to take me seriously and I want you to write down the questions that are up there and I want you to do this this week or the next couple weeks. Here are some helpful questions to ask yourself to start to identify, to start to unnumb that spiritual appetite. What do I believe if I had, fill in the blank, then I could be happy? Where do I believe that? Where do I believe that if I had this, then I'd be okay? Is it beauty? Is it rest? Is it more money? Is it a personality trait? Is it a relationship? Is it being free from a trial? Is it good health? Is it a certain position or job? What do I believe if I had this, then I could be happy? Here's another way, another helpful question to identify that spiritual hunger. Where do you often show or feel discontentment, impatience, complaining, or unkindness. These things are often a result of a spiritual hunger. Are you always discontent in your marriage? Are you all often easily bothered by your coworkers? Do you complain all the time about money and how expensive things are? Remember, these are just questions to unnumb us. My goal in this moment is not to make you feel badly about being spiritually hungry. It's just to show you that we all are. So I encourage you, take some time this week and think about these things. Okay, the next thing, identify your hunger. Now evaluate your habits. Here's what I mean. Over the next week or two, take some time to write down all your regular habits. I'm serious. Write them down. Make a list. Then look over that list. Think about it. Do you have habits, that you, things you regularly do, that you don't love? I'm sure you have some healthy habits. Healthy eating, exercise, calling your mom, brushing your teeth. I'm sure you have some good habits in your life. But again, are there habits you realize that you have that you don't love? Constant phone scrolling. Too often overeating. Eating food that doesn't nourish you too much. Overspending watching or reading something regularly that you're not proud of. What habits do you notice that you have that you just, you don't love those? Now, step three, here's the heart work. Prayerfully consider if the negative habits are connected to an area of spiritual hunger. Are you scrolling on your phone more than you'd like? Well, consider if it might be connected to a desire to escape. Are you regularly spending more money than you should on clothes? Consider if it might be connected to making yourself feel better about how you look. Again, please hear me. My heart with these questions is not to make you feel guilty, and it's also not behavior modification. The last thing I'm hoping is for you to discover that you have a habit you don't like, feel guilty about it, and go and try and quit that behavior. In fact, just as easily as we can self-soothe our spiritual needs with other things, just as easily we can become self-righteous. We can fall into thinking, here's the list. If I do these things and I don't do these things, then I'm good. That is not 
what Jesus is after, and that's not what I'm after. My heart for us all is reorientation. I just want you to see where you're spiritually hungry and then help you turn to Jesus for that real and that lasting nourishment. Jesus is not upset with us for being hungry, you guys. It's why he came in the first place. Remember John 10, 10? I have come that they might have life and that more abundantly. Jesus came and died to give us life. It's the realest, most fulfilling life we can have and we can't give it to ourselves. We can't fill our souls. We need to believe that he, God the Son, is the only source of it and then go to him with our hunger. Okay, our last point. How do we feast on Jesus? How do we do that? How do we take advantage of it? Unfortunately, I'm probably not going to provide you guys with a bunch of new information on this because the methods of taking Jesus in, they're pretty much always the same. Read your Bible, pray, go to church all the time, find Christian friends and stay in vulnerable, honest relationship with them, listen to godly music, godly podcasts, read godly books, read bloggers and articles that push you closer to Jesus. As you become awakened to your spiritual appetites, instead of ignoring them, numbing them, or trying to feed them yourself, take them to Jesus. Now, here's the thing about all of this. I'm pretty practical, and I know that these hungers and aches in us are not quickly gone. One area for me personally that I am always discovering I'm hungry in again is a want to be wanted. I have probably thought to myself a thousand times that my life really would be happier if I were just prettier. I'm not kidding. I know it's so shallow, but I have thought that. And truthfully, it's not like reading my Bible makes me feel pretty. Right? It's not like listening to worship music quenches my appetite for being wanted. Here's how I've discovered that this truth actually works, because it is true. The more I take in of Jesus, thoughtfully, genuinely, through every means I can get my hands on, the more my hunger for being wanted is quieted. Not because Jesus exactly makes me feel pretty, but because my heart gets filled up with loving and wanting all of the things that he says actually will fill me to full. Because you guys know this, even if I was the prettiest girl in every room for my whole life, even if I was wanted by everyone, my heart would still ache. And my soul would still be hungry because that is not the stuff that actually satisfies us. So feasting on Jesus and the life that he gives through the means he has given us, over time, it quenches our appetites with the stuff that actually nourishes us and lasts forever. Okay. Right now, I'm going to invite a panel of ladies. We're going to have four ladies come up on the stage. 
and they're just going to share with us a little bit more. They're going to color in or put flesh on, is a saying, put skin on what does this look like in other people's lives? I gave you an example from my own life. What does it look like? What kinds of things are women hungry for? And how are they finding Jesus to be their satisfaction? So would you welcome with me my friends? This is Helena Guile and Nicole Moore and Sarah Hoppy and Chelsea Zane. I'm going to move this. So you guys can see them. Aren't they lovely? Okay. So we, every girl won't get to answer every question in the whole thing, but let's just hear a little bit from them about what this day-to-day experience is of trying to get filled with Jesus and in our souls. All right? So ladies, they did get these questions ahead of time, so... <laughs> They got to think. I don't think I could answer this on the fly. Um, Okay, Um, here's question number one. Can you think of a season or a specific instance when you realized that you were turning to something besides Jesus to fill you up, bring you delight, satisfy you? So can you think of a time like that? What was it? And how's it going for you now? Uh, Anybody want to share? Anyone want to start? (laughs) Chelsea. Sure. Um, good morning. Um, so I was thinking about this a lot since we got the questions and, um, previously my, uh, before my walk with the Lord, um, I used anything and everything, you name it. That is what I used to fill that hole, that piece that was missing. Um, after I came to know the Lord and, um, seven years of sobriety, um, I was surprised to find that the thing I had uh, sort of placed at the top was my husband. And I'm not talking about a biblical trust and faith and love that you are supposed to have in your husband. I uh, found that I was putting my trust and my happiness um, on him. And I looked at my uh, blessings and favor from the Lord were determined by how my marriage was doing. Hmm. And that created just a a farther fall for my spouse when he inevitably um, would fail me some way, somehow, whatever that looked like. Um, today, uh, I have my order in, <laughs> in line and back with Jesus at the top, my spouse second, and um, the areas where my, my husband um, maybe doesn't do a fantastic job, I know that I can reach out to Jesus for those areas, mm-hmm. um, including my marriage, which has been a huge kind of turnaround. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, I think I can relate to that too. Thanks, Chelsea. Yeah, it's so easy to put a relationship, in the, not just in the place of God, because sometimes I don't think we realize what we're doing, but it's, I think one thing you said that kind of is an indicator of it is when they let us down, how crushed we are, whether it's a friend or a spouse or a boyfriend. um, When we, of course, we're human, we're going to get hurt. That's normal and natural. But when it's just such a 
major blow and maybe it's not even that big of a deal. <laughs> like, anyway, yeah, thank you. Uh, anybody else want to share? Oh, actually, Chelsea, while we have you, just, um, so what's a practical way that you pursue Jesus so, so that you can kind of be filled up with him? Yeah, I mean, all the ways that you said, right? Yeah. So that's pretty standard. But what I've started doing, which is kind of fun, um, is I've started studying my Bible and reading the chapters on the off chance that somebody is going to ask me specifically about that chapter. So my <laughs> notes now are geared towards maybe one day having to tell somebody about that specific chapter, and it's made it a little bit more fun for me. So cool. I'm almost preparing a lesson <laughs> on the off chance somebody's going to ask me about that one verse that I yeah. read four years ago. You're going to get a lot out of that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Anybody else want to share? Sarah? You got the mic. I mean, she passed it to me. So yeah. Sure. yeah I'll share. <laughs> uh, so, gosh, this is such a good question. When Christine emailed it out to us, I could immediately think of like 50 different things mm -hmm. where I do that. Like, um, there's the season where like, well, if I'm not like pretty and young, then who am I? Or if I'm not... You know, my husband's married to me now. He's stuck with me. How do I know he still wants me? Like, when we were dating, he had to choose me over and over, you know? And, like, now... So there's, like, been lots of seasons in my life where I have seen that. But the one I'm currently going through, I, I don't have figured out at all. Um, and it's the absence of something that I'm seeking. So mm -hmm. I have pretty bad anxiety from time to time. It's like a clinical anxiety. It's not anything in particular that I'm anxious about. It's just this just this like dark cloud that kind of follows me around like a little buddy and um it's like a pebble in your shoe sometimes it's rolling behind you you don't notice it's there and other times you're like gosh darn it I can't take a step without feeling it and I just am convinced if I didn't have this I could do anything mm. I could be anything I would be super adventurous I would be super happy and kind because I wouldn't always have something rolling around in the back of my mind and um and so when I seek the Lord, it's, Lord, please don't let me have any anxiety today or any panic attacks. And, and also, I love you and help me to serve you and blah, 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 blah. But that I realized, and it's just in the last few days where I realized that's an idol for me. Like the absence of that has been an idol for me. And I have to confess that to the Lord. And, um, and so I just began asking myself questions, or I think the Holy Spirit was kind of prompting me, like, what, um, what would happen if instead of pursuing the absence of something, what if you instead pursued me and what the Word says that I am and His true character, and um, instead of like, me, 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 and this is how I need to feel, you, 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 and I'll take however I feel and um, because I think I think it is possible. I really believe it's possible to have the peace and joy He promised while in the midst of mm -hmm. affliction. Because the Word says it's true. It doesn't make sense in my mind. It really doesn't. But I know that it's true. And so that's my pursuit: is um, to just allow it to be, to accept mm -hmm. this from the Lord, and instead of spinning my wheels to get rid of it, um, spin my wheels in um, delighting in him and resting in him and 
um, and his promises and his faithfulness because he has been with me through all of it. I can't say that he's left Mm. me um, or that I've been alone. So just looking back on his promises, looking forward to him keeping promises that he's made and I don't know, ask me in like six months or 10 yeah, years and will. maybe I'll have a, a good solid you. answer for <laughs> Next you. Next women's but... <laughs> gathering. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> you don't have to figure yourself out. <laughs> oh, thanks for sharing that, Sarah. Do you have any kind of like, um, I know the, the list I read, it's like all ways that we can pursue Jesus. Is there one that is especially meaningful to you um, right now? Um, in this season. I'm sorry, Nicole was interrupting you when you were saying something. So what was the list? Which one? Uh, no, I said... I just said... take is, one of hers. Is there any, like, specific way of kind of getting filled up on Jesus that's especially meaningful to you, like, right now? Yeah, a really practical way is... Um, and this could just be my personality, but I love listening to older women who are just like no nonsense, like life is not about you, get over yourself kind Mm, of thing. And mm -hmm. they say it way more godly and sweetly than that. (laughs) But Elizabeth Elliot is a big one for me. Um, She's just very much like, kind of has like a get over yourself. Like life isn't about being happy and feeling comfortable. Like it's about pursuing God. And Something about that and then, like, listening to other women of faith, um, like, whether it's Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place, like, people that were, like, in true suffering and how they sought the Lord. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know if it's Misery Loves Company or what, but I just, I love <laughs> hearing people struggle <laughs> yeah. and how they, like, just, like, got super deep in the Lord with it. Yeah. And so yeah. that inspires me and makes me feel a little bit better about my day. <laughs> Thank you. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. How about you, Helena? Yeah. Um, well, during my, my early years in walking with the Lord, um, it wasn't until later that, I, that it was brought to my attention by the Holy Spirit that my life was um, a work-based gospel. Mm. I wanted approval. I wanted acceptance. And then I put a lot of expectation on myself on what that would look like. I was um, like a chameleon. chameleon. Um, I mm-hmm. was. I changed with everyone I was with, or any situation I was in. I would, I would just pour myself into those ways instead of God's way. Until one day, well, one time in my time with the Lord, He got my attention, and He brought um, David and Saul to me when David had gone to Saul to let them know he's going to slay the dragon, um, Goliath. And um, after much much convincing, he was allowed, but um, Saul um, dressed him with his armor. Mm -hmm. And then when Saul, when David put the armor on and then he put his, his sword on, his tunic, it didn't fit, he couldn't walk. And in that story, you know where that goes, um, he, it wasn't his to wear. And I started looking at my life and everyone's armor I wanted to wear. It became pretty heavy. Mm. And um, it wasn't God and it wasn't seeking the Holy Spirit. It was trying to be everything to everyone because I wasn't enough. It was attached to my self-worth. And um, then, no, I won't say then. I'll say but. He um, 
he gave me Psalms 139. And, and that one part that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, I couldn't comprehend that because the part of wonderfully. And um, I never felt that about myself. I, I didn't feel like I had any worth. But when he, he said that, I had to believe it. And so I live on that. I love that verse. And it's such a blessed verse from beginning to end. Mm -hmm. So there I am on that, I love that. journey today. Thank you, Melina. Mm -hmm. Haven't we all been there at some, to some degree or another, just trying to be something that we're not, mm -hmm. sometimes with good intentions, like mm -hmm. sometimes not, sometimes mixed, I don't know. But the Lord just wants to free us from all of that and say, the life that I have for you, that soul-filling life, it's going to quench that need to be accepted by everybody. You're going to become okay with just being who I made you to be. Mm -hmm. You're not going to need to be who you think everybody else wants you to be. That's so good, Helena. Thank you. Thank you. How, how do you find, what's like a practical way for you, maybe right now or maybe it was in that season, um, well, what's one of your favorite ways to pursue Jesus? Well, I, every day, um, I first thing I do is I, I have learned how to set my coffee pot because <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't know. So I had to Google it. And so um, I wake up and by the time I wake up, my coffee's made. So because that takes like 10 to 15 minutes if you're slow. Right. And that's time away from me, from the Lord. So I have that. And then I just get into my word. I, um, I have a reading I do. I try to do the seven times seven, um, seven for seven. Um, but sometimes I, you know, I, I don't, but it's been such a blessed thing. I, mm. I, I read. It's a, a book by Richard Cather, and it's uh, like challenging you to read every day. Oh, cool. But, um, and, it, and, you know, beginning people think it's a, you know, uh, tend to think it's a work base, but what happens is that it becomes a habit. Yeah, and 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 the habit is good. You know, you you don't always make it, but what you do is you do it for the whole year. And even though you miss a day, you keep on going according to what the reading plan. what the reading plan is. She's talking about like a Bible reading plan, right? A Bible reading plan. seven for seven. That's, That's okay. Right. Just making sure everybody knew. Yeah, yeah. and then um, because eventually you're going to go back again. You know, yeah. if the Lord tarries, you're going to go back again another year, and you're going to yeah um, fill in the blanks. So I do that, and then. I listen to uh, teaching. I, I love mm -hmm. Josh White. I listen to him a lot. Mm -hmm. And I listen to Bill's teaching still for the pastors, but I still listen. Um, <laughs> and um, and I, just, I just listen to Nate. And, you know, I just listen. Yeah. I just feel my, 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 my spirit. It's like getting filled up. Yeah. Then you can't, like, mm -hmm. I mean, you could shove some other stuff in there, but mm -hmm. it's not going to, yeah. Um, I love that seven for seven. I don't even know exactly how it works, but it's kind of like you're getting a lot of the Bible. Mm -hmm. So you're getting a really good big picture. You're just getting so much of it. Um, instead of there's lots of different ways to read the Bible, there's not a wrong re Bible reading plan. But that seven for seven, it's going to give you like scope and breadth, and you're going to see God's story um, and how it all fits together in a really cool way. And so there's a kind of faith 
that builds from that kind of knowledge. I love that. It, and it takes you from the um, old and, and into the new and the, okay. same, the same reading. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. beautiful. Yeah, 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 that's helpful too. Cool. Okay, last up, Nicole. Yeah, I purposely had a few things that I've struggled with because I figure like, chances are we've had similar <laughs> struggles. Which one yeah. will I share? Um, but nobody has really talked about, um, for, for me, one of my struggles has been um, finding the perfect pair of shoes or the perfect pair of jeans or perfect set of dishes. And um, every time I find the perfect set, I am searching like the next day for like another perfect set, mm -hmm. right? Um, so it's one of those that like they're, it's never done. Yeah. Um, like my house is never perfect, you know, cause there's always, it's always changing. There's always something better. And with clothes, my size changes. So then I need perfect jeans in the next size or, <laughs> or, or a different shade of denim is in now or a different whatever. Um, so that's, that's one of the struggles that would be the one. And I would say the other one for me is always, um, wanting to have fun. Um, mm. so for me, it's like, I love reading really light, fluffy fiction books. I love um, eating candy. I love watching movies, like not deep ones. Again, like the fluffy <laughs> makes me just like happy. Um, but it is, it's another one of those like, you can always be looking for something fun to do. Mm -hmm. um, you can always be looking for the perfect mm -hmm. buy, the perfect deal. Um, but, but it is, it's one of those, like it, it's never, it's, it's never, never finished. Um, and I feel like, I feel like this is probably a struggle that I'll have for my whole life. Um, but there's definitely seasons, um, where I am hungering more for God. Um, and, and I feel like it's when I'm most aware of, um, of what I'm doing that, um, that I can make the, the intentional decision to, to stop. Yeah. Um, that's a great example of like the habit mm -hmm. that's connected to the hunger that we didn't even know we had or needed and why thinking about our habits kind of helps reveal sometimes where we're hungry not so that we can feel terrible for feeling hungry, but so that we can realize I'm feeding myself on the wrong thing. I'm never going to be filled. I'm never going to be full, but with Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love the fact that, like, even all of these things, like, none of them are wrong in and of themselves. Like, it's, right. it's great to read a good book, you know? It's yeah. great to have a treat once in a while, but more that, that I'm not going to that to be filled. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, what's a practical way that you love to pursue Jesus or that you're experiencing a lot of filling from him right now or then? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that um, more recently, I, I feel like I have words for it. Um, so growing up, my mom is just an amazing Christian woman. And uh, when we first had the kids, they were really little. I would stress about um, not 
telling them enough about Jesus, you know, because I'm not the most organized person. Um, so I definitely had friends, you know, my organized friends <laughs> who would, <laughs> Sarah, you're probably one of these people too, like my homeschool mom friends who <laughs> would have like set readings that they would do every day with their kids, um, or songs they would teach them or memory verses. And, um, I am very much, uh, like today I am going to start <laughs> a memory verse plan with my kids. And it would last for like three days, you know. And then it would be like, okay, now we are doing like whatever the thing was. And my mom was always um, encouraging me to just bring Jesus into whatever we were doing. And so she would, she would demonstrate when she came to visit, you know. And she would be like, remember, like when we were just driving um, – and someone would like point out a cool cloud, I would say, oh, is that cool? Jesus made that cloud. Yeah. Um, and so, so that was when I started to be reminded of like, I, I think I never noticed that's what my mom was doing. Um, but that's something that, that now I, um, I think of it like little nuggets, um, I don't know how many of you are Taylor Swift fans, and I'm not, I'm not like a huge one, but my daughters are pretty big, um, and one of the things I've read is that she, she has these little nuggets, because she was a fangirl, so she has these little nuggets that she hides like in her lyrics or in her music videos, or like when you're reading inside the album, she'll have like little things that only like super fans can find. It's like a treasure hunt. Um, but I feel like that's, mm. that's what God has done for us mm. and going through each of my days, like looking for the nuggets that he's left, um, is just such a, like such a fun way to live life. Like I feel like it's, it's everything from like, you know, the times when like you've, you've heated up your heated up lunch, like just the right amount of time and you got to eat it right away and it's like hot and delicious and you didn't have to prepare it. You know, like all the, all the little, all the little nuggets. It's true. Like our, our dog is just like, he gives me nuggets every day. Like every day it'll be like, it'll be just like his, his half teeth missing smile, you know, and it's like, oh. Like God, God gave him to me yeah. as just this being that never has an attitude, you know, <laughs> and and that really serves no purpose. Like, right? I I just I just think there's so many little things in our life, yes. or like flowers that we'll see, and it's like yes. if that is in the middle of nowhere, nobody else is going to see this flower, mm-hmm. or um, or the sunsets, or when I'm out kayaking, and it's like, oh my goodness, like here are just these sweet beings and here is this incredible water and and so many things that don't necessarily have like super practical purposes in our yeah. lives but are just like these little like this is just something I have for you today. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Have you guys ever read that book by Ann Voskamp? Um, what is it called? A thousand, a hundred gifts or a thousand, a thousand gifts, gifts, something thousand. like that. It kind of is, goes along that line of like just noticing a hair bow in her daughter's hair yes. and, and connecting that, not only being, not only noticing it and stopping, but connecting it to like a little, she doesn't use the word nugget, <laughs> but I like nugget way better. <laughs> it's a nugget from the Lord. Well, I love that. Thank you guys so much for sharing with us. Would you guys give them a round of applause?
Yeah. Thank you. You can go. You can go. All right. Wait, we're going a little late, so we'll cut this off. Yeah. Um, thank you for being here. Um, I'm just going to wrap up. Yeah. So that's our morning. How do we feast on our bread of life? He's there. He's available to us. He wants us to take him in and, and help. He wants to help satisfy all the cravings that our soul has. So I encourage you to do the homework this week. One last thing. There's a book I want to recommend for you. Bernard, if you can pop that book recommendation. Um, this is a book called Behold and Believe. It's actually a study through the seven I am statements of Jesus. It's a seven-week study. I used the first one. It was super helpful in helping me get ready for this. And some of the questions that I had you ask yourself um, were from that. <clears throat> so I haven't done all the other studies. I've only done the first one, which is the Bread of Life, but I think it's going to be phenomenal. I loved the first one. Um, it was put out by the Gospel Coalition, so if you know who they are, they have really solid stuff. Um, and this is my recommendation for you. Um, if you do it as we're going through the women's gatherings this year, you might come and we've already learned one, and you've already studied it, and, and there, you'll get all the more from it, um, or you can just do it on your own time. But um, I think it's a fabulous resource, and um, this is one way you can feast on Jesus is by studying this. So um, we're a little bit over, so we were going to sing, but we're not going to sing, and we're just going to wrap it up really quick and pray for you all and encourage you to connect with each other, and um, thank you for being here. <laughs>